This is a Federal News Network podcast. It took a lot of technology work to keep the government operating remotely through the pandemic. And IT staffs have gotten a lot of credit. But what about the finances of it all? Chief financial officers and their staffs have also labored to keep things under control. Grant Thornton and the Association of Government Accountants surveyed CFOs to document what they've done. And here with the highlights, AGA CEO Ann Eberts. Ms. Eberts, good to have you back. Great to be with you this morning. And Grant Thornton, Managing Principal Tony Scardino. Tony, good to have you back. Good morning, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's start with who did you ask and what did you ask of the CFO and their staffs that function about the pandemic? Tell us about this survey. Tom, the CFO survey done in conjunction between AGA and Grant Thornton is an annual survey of CFOs in both state and federal government. And what we're trying to do is what are topics of the day? What does the CFO community need to hear about, know about, learn about? So it's more of a, it's a peer discussion as well as it is about helping folks understand what are some of the challenges and opportunities in the CFO community. Uh, This past year was the first year we actually did it in a series of, of surveys so with, with Ann's leadership, we were able to reach out to CFOs both across the government and really focus this past year on uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, and what it meant to the CFO community. And what did it mean to the CFO community, Ann? Well, I think it, it really highlighted the fact that they were resilient and they were able to continue to do their work. Most offices had had telework policies in some way, shape, or form. But I think moving to 100% telework at the drop of a hat, which it really was immediacy, meant they had to come up with some routine, some new policies, some new ways of communicating. And I think they really stepped up to do that. And one of the things they talked about uh, was not managing people and, and overseeing people, but but really focusing on what do we need to get done, setting priorities, and identifying the staff to focus on those priorities. You know, the pandemic meant a lot of money going out. So that's, it goes through the CFO community and they need to manage and oversee and account for it. Because when you think about the demands that were on the finances of agencies, you had all of this money flowing in from stimulus bills, trillions of dollars literally going through some of the agencies. Then you had, you know, a lot of CIOs told us, well, we just added all this capacity for virtual private networks, and that's not free, or we bought 10,000 laptops to give everybody. So everywhere the CFO turned, people were asking for money, which was either recently appropriated or had to be reprogrammed or something. So tell us how that affects the CFO operation. What kinds of demands do they face? Tony? Well, you know, Tom, the age-old challenge for CFO organizations, you know, the last 20 years, we've tried to move from an office of compliance to one of a strategic partnership. But the, the uh, challenge always remains between customer service, getting money out the door, helping people spend money, plan for it, and also checks and balances, making sure rules and regulations are followed so that uh, you know nobody gets in any trouble. We haven't done things improperly. And so with the pandemic, there was a huge push to get money out the door as quickly as possible. And as Ann said, you know, pivot to spending money differently in different ways, uh, meeting uh, these needs that we've never had before, like you said, 10,000 laptops I- immediately. Normally the government, and this is no offense, I was a Fed for 24 years, the process planning, procurement just takes more time. But the pandemic required that things move much more quickly. Yeah, and all of this while the CFO staffs and the CFOs themselves were also remote. And that must have added some complexity to the whole picture. Well, you know, I, I think they were able to manage, well, I know they're able to manage the complexity because when you think about 
the high percentage of CFOs and agencies that completed their agency financial reports on time, their audits, those were conducted on time remotely. And they still got the reports out so they could still collaborate, communicate, and then document for the public what it was that they were able to accomplish. We're speaking with Ann Eberts. She's CEO of the Association of Government Accountants. And Tony Scardino is managing principal of Grant Thornton and former Fed, as he just mentioned. And so what do you think the lessons learned here are? What can CFOs take from this when, if it ever happens, agencies get back to normal operations or there are fannies in the actual physical seats again? You know, one of the things I think we've learned is um, building and maintaining relationships. Uh, by being in the office, right, it's always easier. I call them planned versus unplanned conversations. Right now, Tom, we've mastered efficiency. We can have 15 meetings in a day, go back to back to back to back. But there's nothing like walking out of a meeting together, walking down the hallway and truly talking about some of the things that were left unsaid in the meeting. Right? And I know that might sound small, but over time, literally over, you imagine the thousands or millions of conversations that are missing right now. Because I guarantee you, and like me, we at 10 o'clock this morning, we both have meetings. And then at 10.30, we do. And then at 11 o'clock, it's just the way everybody rolls now. So we're really all talking about efficiency has been great, but we're not sure about long-term effectiveness. Right. I can definitely relate to that, having worked in an almost empty floor for a year myself with lots and rows and rows of offices and desks. And I wanted to stop by and ask someone, but you just can't. And sometimes there's friction, you know, in being able to contact someone spontaneously, I guess. And also in the survey and the results and the published piece there, and there's a lot about resiliency, which seem to be some lessons learned here too. One about how resilient government can be and maybe some lessons on how it can stay that way. I think in the in the CFO community, when you when you think about financial management, it's it's rules based. I mean there's certain things that you need to do, you have to do uh, to follow the rules, but you know, I really think the organization came together and and achieved mission, and that's where their focus was. And, you know, we heard from CFOs that they weren't worried about, you know, managing the people necessarily, you know, the, the individuals, but really focusing on the job to be done, what people you needed to pull together to make, you know, to complete something on time and, and serve the purpose that they needed to serve. But I think, too, enterprise risk management is has been, you know, bred into the CFO community for years. That's what they focus on. And I don't believe anybody had on their risk list pandemic that would last for 18 months, two years. So they've really been able to adapt, again, the strategic planning that they've always been doing, the relationships that Tony talks about that they've built across the enterprise to continue to, to move forward and do the work they need to do while even hiring and onboarding staff and having staff retire. I mean, so all those normal things are ongoing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that too, the idea of hiring financial staff and accountants and financial analysts and so forth that come under the CFO function. And each profession has its challenges with respect to hiring new people that you can't have come into the office and take around and meet everybody and so on. So, Tony, what are some of the challenges ahead here for the CFO channel as new people come into government doing this? So, Tom, I think the largest challenge right now is the concept of remote working, office space. Do people need to come back into the office? If so, how many times? And that relates to recruitment because literally we are recruiting folks 
out of college or earlier in their careers. And one of the first questions they asked is, do I have to come in the office every day? Everybody's trying to figure out what makes the most sense. I know of many, many folks that have left jobs because they didn't want to come into the office every day right now. So from a retention perspective, we know that it's becoming a competitive disadvantage to requiring people to come in every day. Everybody wants flexibility. I'm not saying everybody wants to never go into the office. Just folks haven't figured out what is the sweet zone of how many days a week should people be in the office. And for some people like, hey, I never want to go on the metro again. I never want to go in the office again. And other people are craving it. They want to come back every day. So total flexibility may not work towards effectiveness. Let's take office space. If people come in one day a week, do you need to keep the same amount of office space? Well, what about that person that wants to come in five days a week? So no one's quite figured out. I'm sure you've seen, you know, some of the, you know, groups out in San Jose, they've, they've changed a lot of their policies. They were going to all come in every day or three days a week in September. Then it was October. Now I just saw one of the big ones said January. Nobody knows the future, but it's changing so fast. All we know is the rapid pace of technology is going to force us to make quicker decisions and be flexible and nimble. And it sounds like also the financial people will need new models because if the office space calculus changes and who comes in when, a lot of variables, the real estate itself, parking permits, metro allowances, all that kind of stuff gets completely chopped up and mixed up. And so I would think there's some technical challenges to figuring it out all and making sure the money is there that you need for those different pieces of the personnel part as it overlays real estate and transportation. Well, you know, Tom, I mean, a flexible schedule has been in place for years in many offices where people did the compressed work schedule. They would take every other Friday off. So then you had to start planning meetings. Okay, we don't have meetings on Fridays. We'll only have them on, you know, Monday through Thursday or whatever. So I think I think the government workforce is used to adapting to different models for the, to the extent that some offices have gone to, you know, kind of the bullpen look with lots of modular furniture. Well, think about it. Those aren't fixed walls. You can realign and, and move some of that around to figure out, configure the way you know, you want to configure when you discuss with teams about how they want to work together when they are in the office. So bottom line then, for everybody else in a federal agency, as you do your planning, don't do it without checking with the CFO, correct? <laughs> correct. <laughs> all I'm right. the CFO of three federal agencies. I would say that all the time. Okay, yes. Spoken like a former CFO. Tony Scardino is managing principal of Grant Thornton and Ann Eberts is CEO of the Association of Government Accountants. Thanks so much for joining me. Great seeing you. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview plus a link to their report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was... It was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. T- can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, <clears throat> I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.